West Bowles, good morning. Thank you for being here, those of you joining us online as well. And also thank you to Emily and Graham for bringing us worship this morning. Uh, welcome home to the group that went to Juarez this last week. It was close to 40 people went down to Juarez and built a house for a family down there. And uh, also, uh, just, this is just a, an announcement in advance. If you think you're not going to the chili luncheon downstairs afterwards, Think again, okay? I'm stopping you at the door just because you got to go down and see it. I mean, Kayla on our staff, she is, she is our director of hospitality. So, you know, we had like donuts out in the foyer for Pastor Appreciation Month. Oh, no, no, no. That was, I don't know. We've put so much fat and sugar out in that foyer. Uh, but the presentation of it, I mean, even if you don't like donuts, it's like that, that looks so amazing. I've got to have one. So she's done it again with the, with the lower gathering place. There are like, I don't know, 87,000 crockpots of chili down there. There are vats of Velveeta cheese, piles of cash. This is all just to get you to go to the chili luncheon afterward, all right? So I might have exaggerated just a little bit there. But join us afterward, and you don't have to come for the Broncos, okay? None of us is coming for the Broncos this year, all right? So... Well, we are, we took a break. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark um, a good chunk of this year. And we, we took a break starting last week, basically through November and through December. Um, but these, these, today and next week, we're talking about the idea you just saw up on the screen, the prelude to gratitude. And here's the whole goal, that you would arrive and I would arrive at Thanksgiving with something more than superficial gratitude. And we kind of laid out what that was last week, didn't we? I mean, you, maybe you have that tradition where you sit around the table and you're all sharing what you're grateful for. And just, you know you're grateful, but nothing, the only thing coming to mind is what you happen to be looking at at the moment, right? So the light switch, the carpet, the chair you're sitting on, which is, it's good to be thankful for that stuff. But there is something very different between that kind of gratitude and that deep, genuine, oh my goodness, only God could have done that kind of gratitude in our lives. And so we began looking at this account in Luke chapter 17, where Jesus heals 10 lepers. And one of the things that we came to last week was the obvious presence of deep need in these guys' lives. And that actually that deep need is something very common across all of us. That when you get into a spot of deep, deep need, while we think solve it, you know what God does with it? Deep need is really the starting point of deepened gratitude in our lives. And so last week we arrived at this idea that God uses need to open our mouths and ask for mercy. And we looked at the prayer, the cry of these ten lepers. Jesus, Master, have pity or have mercy on us. And as, as we looked at that prayer, you realize it is prayed throughout Scripture. And it's one that God responds to and God answers every single time. And if nothing else, he did it at the cross, right? That's where he answered that cry and that prayer. But this week, I want want to point you to something else God uses that deep need in our lives for. God uses our need to reorient our eyes to his activity. And so as we come back into that account, and and we're going to finish it up next week, but I, I want to revisit the passage we looked at last week, and a little bit more from this account. Because as you look through this passage, you realize it's very, it's, it's very orienting for us, and it opens our eyes. Let, let me ask you this, if you're brave enough to raise your hand. Is anybody here colorblind? 
Anybody here? Okay, so we have a few that are colorblind. So I grew up with a dad who's colorblind, okay? Which means when I learned the colors when I was a kid, there was blue, there was green, and there was gray, all right? Those were all the colors. I mean, it was like, Dad, what's this color? That's, that's gray, because that's what he saw. Okay, so here's where this became problematic. You know, we would, we would like, come to traffic lights, and we all know, like, there's red, and there's yellow, and there's green. But for Dad, it was dark gray, light gray, and green. Okay, that's fine when the traffic light is, hor- or is vertical, like we have it, right? If you have ever been to the Midwest, like Nebraska, small town Nebraska, Kansas, how are the traffic lights laid out? Yeah, they're horizontal, which is a problem, isn't it? Because what happens is, uh, and, and in one small town, I can't remember where it was, I remember looking at it, and they had actually flipped it. So it didn't go red, stop, yellow, speed up, green, go. I'm sorry, I've got a 15-year-old with a permit. It's, it's stop, stop, go. Okay. But it was flipped, and I just went, oh my gosh, I, I don't know what Dad's going to do here at the light. Well, about 15, 20 years ago, Dad connected with this eye doctor who said, there's actually a contact. We can put a contact in one of your eyes. It's going to make one eye one color and the other eye the other, and that was interesting. Uh, but anyway, he could suddenly see all these colors that we, like, all grew up with. It was an incredible thing. And so, I, I mean, he was like a kid in the candy store. He was like, what's that? I'm like, Dad, that's red. That's called red, okay? There's orange and there's yellow, and, and he could see all this stuff. Now, I bring all this up because this passage really serves to be like that contact for us this morning. See, in order to arrive at deeper gratitude, we've got to become proficient and skilled in the art of seeing God's activity. And there's a major, major difference between where we often look for God's activity and where we actually find God's activity. And so I want to jump into Luke chapter 17 again, and we're starting with verse 11. And you're going to see four areas that really help give us eyes on God's activity. And as a result, and where we'll land last week, perhaps a deeper sense of gratitude. So read this with me. Luke chapter 17, verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now I want to draw your attention to a few words here. Along the border, okay? When you see that segment of this sentence, we all know that either side of a border can have very different cultures, activities, lifestyles, you name it, right? We get that concept. So here's Jesus, and he's traveling along a border. He's not walking through any one specific place, but along the border of Samaria and Galilee. And that's the next part I want you to see, Samaria and Galilee. Now, if you were to, if you were to read with our 2022 eyes, okay, you hear, you hear Galilee, and maybe if you grew up in church, you associate Galilee with Jesus, right? I mean, it was the boyhood home of Jesus. All of his disciples, except Judas Iscariot, were thought to have come from there. Most of his miracles that we, that we read about, they took place in Galilee. And Galilee really served as, it was like symbolic of the newness of what Jesus was doing compared to what the Jews thought God was like and what God did. Okay? We're used to that. But when Jesus was walking around, Galilee was not that. Galilee was not what it is to us. 
Galilee was really this, it was like this mixed, mixed community of Jews and heathen. I mean, even Nathaniel, he, he looked at this place within Galilee, Nazareth. He said, can, can anything good come from there? I mean, he knew he was looking out for God's activity, but when he thought about Nazareth in Galilee, he thought, I don't think anything good can come from that place. And so it was looked upon as this place that, no, God, God's not up to anything there. And yet, here's Jesus, God himself, walking along the border. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But Samaria is the other place, on the other side of the border. And Samaria, again, we, we know these accounts of Jesus um, interacting with Samaritans. But Samaria, centuries before Jesus walked the earth, there's no way people were expecting God to show up there. It had been overrun by the Assyrians centuries and centuries before, and its inhabitants had been carried off into captivity. And so what had happened is the people who ended up settling there, they had all these pagan idolatries. And over time, they basically mixed and intermarried with Jews. And so what that led to was really this mixed race of the people of Samaria and Jews, and full-blooded Jews when Jesus was walking the earth, they despised Samaritans. I mean, they were just seen as like half and, and worth less by them. I mean, there was this extreme prejudice toward them. And yet we now know Samaria is really the gateway of what Jesus was doing, the gateway to the rest of the earth and what he would do among the Gentiles. Now, I bring all that up to say back then, Galilee and Samaria would not have been known as the focus or the emphasis or the epicenter of God's activity, right? People would have just written it off. And as I thought about that, I thought, hmm, I wonder if it's still true today. Do we have areas in our lives that we just write off like God couldn't possibly work there? And so that first area that God reorients our eyes is really along the outskirts or the edges of his activity of our, in our lives. I mean, think about it. Didn't we grow up, maybe, or maybe many of us, we grew up thinking God's activity took place in a building on a Sunday, 9 or 10 a.m., you know, it, it, or it was at a group of Christians, right? And so this really, to me, as, as I read this, I thought this is such an invitation to open my eyes to those other places, those places where when I leave church on Sunday morning, maybe I tune out. And I think, well, okay, God really, really spoke Sunday morning at 10 a.m. I'm biased because I'm the preacher, so hopefully he did, all right? But it's one of those things where we have to learn to begin looking everywhere we go for the activity of God. Maybe he's there at work, at 9 a.m. on Wednesday morning, when it seems like things maybe are falling apart or it's, it's not the greatest of weeks. You know, what about our conversations? We all have those comfortable topics of conversation, right? I mean, I sit here and I think I could, I could sit here and I could talk Michigan football with anybody for hours and hours and hours. Could I do the same about spotting God in my life? I hope so. I hope every single one of us could. You know, this, this walking through the book of Mark, it's been funny to hear feedback on it because I get it. We've been at it for a while, haven't we? And some of you have so faithfully reminded me of that, okay? So, but the idea is we, for, for a long time here at West Bowles, we've approached so many things topically. 
But as you walk through Scripture, verse by verse by verse, there is something so rich about it. And I know we sit there and we think, well, let's just get to the next thing, let's get to the next thing. Or what if we just stopped with the Word as it's presented to us and see what God has to say? He might actually show up there. Let's not write it off. So that's the first area. You see the second area where God is, is, we see his activity in our lives as you continue. This is verses 12 and 13. As he was going into the village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, here's our prayer from last week, Jesus, master, have pity or have mercy on us. Now, let me, let me bring you back to a few words here. Some men who had leprosy. Now, we talked about this last week, but leprosy it, it, in that day and age, you know, it, was, it could be a number of different skin diseases, but what it meant was really uncleanliness and separation. Separation from really even oneself, maybe all the potential, all the hopes, all the dreams that they had had in life, they suddenly were restricted and seen as, as less and somehow maybe shackled and handcuffed by this. But they were also separated from society. And many believed that because this was a, a disease of sin, that they were separated from God as well. And, and so here they are, and they're standing at a distance, which is the next part I want you to see. They stood at a distance, and they called out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. In other words, they weren't close to God, like maybe those closer to Jerusalem. Now, <clears throat> as I look at this, I, if, I, it, I'm just reminded that that's one of those other areas of God's activity that can be very, very uncomfortable for us. We can look for them along the edges and the borders and the outskirts of our lives where we don't normally associate them, but also with the overlooked, the overlooked people in our lives. And we all have them. And chances are we may be blind to them because we get so focused on who we're used to seeing every single week, but we've got those who are the overlooked in our lives. And and I I want to draw you to two primary categories here. There are those that are close with us, and then there are those that are invisible to us. See, we've got all these categories, don't we? Right? I mean, they had Jews, Samaritans, Gentiles. You know, for us, I I don't really walk around thinking in those categories. But it's easy for us to think of a, a, a sports fan base, a neighborhood, a school, Republican, Democrat, Right? And, and yet, when, when you just read this one verse, you know what you see? In Jesus' eyes, some people who are separated from God, who longed for God, whom God also longed for. I mean, what if that defined and described the way that we looked at people? I've shared this quote before, but it's just one of my favorite quotes to come back to. This was actually... Um, spoken at the funeral of a firefighter who had died in the Trade Center attacks in 2001. And shared at his funeral was this quote. You know, people, I've learned something through all this. Let me see if I can express it to you. When everybody was fleeing that building and the cops and firefighters and the EMS people were heading up into it, do you think any of them said, I wonder how many blacks are up there for us to save? I wonder what percentage are whites up there? How many Jews are there? Let's see, are these people making $400,000 a year or $24,000 or something else? 
No, when you're saving lives, they're all precious. And that's how we're supposed to live all the time. How would you want the cops to treat you if you were on the 75th floor that day? Would you want them to say, excuse me, but I've got to get the bosses out first? Not exactly. I confess I haven't always lived this way, but I'm convinced that God wants us to do it. He wants us to value every human life the way he does. And so you have Luke 17, 12 through 13. How does God deal with those who are overlooked in our culture, in our society, in each of our individual lives? He doesn't see a category. He sees somebody who is separate from the love of God who desperately, God desperately longs for. And if enough life goes by, you know this, you end up desperately, desperately longing for him, don't you? Because all the stuff of our youth begins to fade away. And we realize all that he has. And so, where is God active in our lives? Along the outskirts, with the overlooked, There's a third category as we get into the next verse, the beginning of verse 14. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, I want you to highlight or circle that word priests, okay? See, you hear the word priest and chances are you associate it with Catholicism, right? Or maybe just something that was something for back then. I mean, I don't know of anybody here who woke up today and they're like, well, I'm a priest today. At least I don't think so. I haven't heard anybody say it to me. But here's what's going on here. When, when Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priests, he was not just pointing back at the requirement of the law in Leviticus 13 and 14. You know, when somebody was cleansed, they were to go show themselves to the priest and basically be declared clean and be reintroduced into the community there. Jesus was doing that, but Jesus was also redeeming and sustaining and bringing forward something that God began long before Leviticus. This was something that was actually taking place in the Garden of Eden, because when we're first introduced to humanity in Genesis, what God has given them to do really describes a priestly role. He says, you're to rule over. Okay, you're to rule over all the earth. You are to be my representatives is you rule over. Now, obviously, we know humanity was deceived, and, 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 and as a result, they, they forfeited that role. And yet, all throughout the Old Testament, and now right, even right here in the New Testament, you see the, the elevating of this priestly role. And what God was doing back in the Garden of Eden is he was establishing, you've heard this phrase before, roy, the, his royal priesthood. Those who would rule over and serve and sacrifice on his behalf. So, you get to this. Now, this this account is obviously happening before the cross, but when you get beyond the cross and the Holy Spirit... I can't think. I, I lost it. The Holy Spirit descends on people in the book of Acts. One of the things that happens, one of the changes that happens, is people begin acting in accordance with that priestly role. I mean, they begin serving one another. They begin uh, sacrificing. They, they make sacrifice for one another. You look at the language of Paul in the New Testament, and so much of it falls under the umbrella of, of the language of a royal priesthood. And this is one of those third areas, or this is the third area where we can see God's activity in engaging our original vocation. Now, if, if you were to look in the mirror... I would guess, just based on my own experience, 
There are a lot of days you wake up, you look in the mirror, and it's very hard to think of yourself as part of a royal priesthood, isn't it? See, a lot of times we don't see that when we look in the mirror. And so we downplay ourselves, we downplay our worth, we downplay our value. And yet, if you are in Christ, you have everything you need to live in that role as part of the royal priesthood. There's a priest in in the Old Testament, Eli. Eli had really, really bad eyesight. And Eli is so interesting to me because Eli, he, he was able to hear when God was speaking to Samuel. But at the same time, there was a woman who was praying one day. And as he looked at her, you know what he did? He thought, she's been drinking. She's totally drunk. And he just downplayed it and downplayed it. Here's a guy with literal bad eyesight who's supposed to be a priest. Yeah, he doesn't recognize it. And I sit there and I think, that's probably not too different from many Christians I encounter in much of my own history. Where I think, if I could see me the way God sees me, after I've turned my life over and trusted in what Jesus did at the cross— I'd see differently. I remember going to lunch in high school, and a group of us would, uh, this girl would drive her car, um, and, and there was a group of us that would get in this car, and it wasn't until we finished high school, she was like, oh man, I didn't realize how bad my eyesight has been all these years. Now, think about that. Would you get in a car with somebody that you knew had terrible eyesight, speeding down bowls from Columbine because you've got like eight minutes for lunch? It, it was like 25 minutes, but anyway... No, none of us would. And yet, this is what can happen. This is what can happen. As as God nudges people and urges people, go, show yourselves to the priests. Show yourself to the royal priesthood. Engage with the church. Do we see people that we can make sacrifice for, that we can serve, that we can come alongside? See, we all have a duty All followers of Christ have a duty to step into that role. Finally, a fourth area where we get eyes on God's activity. It's the second half of verse 14. And as they went, they were cleansed. Did you catch that? And it's so simple. And as they went, they were cleansed. Let me tell you what's not in here. What's not in here is some big miraculous display where Jesus goes, okay, everybody gather around. I'm going I'm to snap my fingers and I'm going to do the thing and you're all going to be cleansed. No, there's nothing like that here. You know what's here? It's just very ordinary obedience. And yet it's so extraordinary because it was as they went. It wasn't, God, show us we're cleansed and then we'll go. It's you obey in faith what I've commanded you. And as you go, you'll be cleansed. And as I thought about that, I went, oh my goodness, this is so prevalent in Scripture. You remember Jesus? We we know that very famous miracle, turning water to wine. When you read that account, you know know what it doesn't say? Okay, everybody gather around, and we're going to do a countdown, and then just watch the water turn into wine. No, instead, the servants just, in faith, obeyed what Jesus commanded them, and he turned water into wine. We get to the feeding of the multitudes, feeding of the 5,000. He hands his disciples a little bit of bread and a few fish. And he says, hand it out. 
insurer. I'm sure there was like, okay, I don't know how this is going to work, Jesus. You clearly didn't do the math on this one. And yet, because they obeyed in faith, the multitudes were fed. And not just kind of fed. It says everybody ate and was satisfied. As they went, they were cleansed. You want to know the fourth area you will see God's activity in your life? Is in obedient living. That's not to say that our obedience does what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us. But it's after that. As we obey in faith. You know what happens? It cleans up your life. You know, your attitudes shift. Your aims shift. Your endeavors shift. The way you engage everybody and everything around you, it shifts. I've talked to a few. I haven't gotten to, to talk to many. But the group that just came home from Juarez, you know what I love about hearing from that group, every single person I've talked to, is God did something. You, you go in the interest of helping someone else, and then you discover just how much God did for you. See, he cleans things up. It's just what he does over and over and over. It's in the outskirts, and it's with the overlooked. And it's in engaging our original purpose, and it's in obedient living that we see God's, God's activity in our lives. In fact, if you walk through Scripture, and I'm going to wrap up here in a second, as you walk through Scripture, you know what you, you see? is really this disorienting. God uses need, left and right, to disorient people in order to reorient people to what he's up to. Remember Moses? Moses, no, we don't remember Moses, Nathan. Yes, Moses, he grew up in this palace, Pharaoh's palace. And so he's used to all the, the lavish architecture and the way of life that Pharaoh was accustomed to and the way he lived. And then where do we find Moses pretty quickly? In the wilderness. And, and, it's, and it's an extended time in the wilderness. And yet where is it that God shows up? In a bush. God goes, look, Moses, I know it's comfortable in the palace, but I've got to get you out of there. I've got to disorient you. I've got to get your, your attention on your surroundings, on the shrubs and on the bushes and on the wilderness and the dynamics of that in order to see what I'm up to. You get to God's people, right? They're, they're crying out for a king. And so who do they pick? They pick a guy like me, King Saul, tall, dark, handsome, okay? And, and they're so focused on this king, because all the other nations have this king. And then when that didn't work out, and God has to disorient them, what's it for? It's to reorient them to a shepherd boy that would be anointed as their next king. You get to the prophets, and Isaiah, what does he tell us? That this coming Messiah one day, he's nothing much to look at. Right? You're going to see him, and he's going to look so average. And he's going to look like, like nothing impressive to you. You get to Jesus with his disciples. And yes, the crowds built as he performed his miracles. And yet as time went on, he went, look, 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 you're, you're looking at all the wrong stuff. I'm right there. I'm in the details, but I've got to disorient you. And it was never more clear than the night that they all scattered and abandoned him before he went to the cross. Completely disoriented. But God hadn't lost him. He hadn't let go of him to reorient them. And now I have the church. The church that Jesus promised, I will build it. 
I will build my church and nothing, not even the gates of Hades, will overcome it. And, and we don't have to look back too far, do we? Just a few years to see how disorienting the last few years have been for the church. But why? So that he can reorient us to what he's up to. And it also explains the Broncos this year, okay? It, it absolutely explains the Broncos. Just total disorienting, right? We're all going, what is happening right now? in order to reorient us to a chili luncheon, all right, right after this. And so, with all that said, God, he will use your need. I know you want him to solve it. I want him to solve it. But he will use need to open our mouths and ask for mercy, to reorient our eyes to see his activity. And we'll get to that third thing that he uses it for next week. But ultimately, it's to arrive at gratitude, maybe, We'll explain more as we look at the rest of that account next week. Let me pray as the worship team comes back up. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come before you, thinking we know all that we, well, we think we know. We think we see so clearly. And yet you are a God who over and over and over you remind us it's, it's a living not by sight. It's living by faith. And so, Lord, I pray that as we look at these four areas, as we look at the outskirts of our lives, the edges where maybe we've never associated your activity with, Lord, would you open our eyes? As we walk through the week, and maybe we begin to notice people we hadn't noticed before, the overlooked, would you show us your activity? Lord, would you bring us back to our original vocation? That while we look in the mirror and there's all kinds of self-talk that just falls so short of how you see us in light of the cross, Lord, bring us back to your eyes on us in our original vocation as a royal priesthood of believers. And Lord, as we go in obedient living, Lord, begin to clean up our lives as you did these lepers. Give us the faith to walk forward. Help our unbelief to walk forward and live in obedience that we would see your activity. We, write, we ask that you'd write these words on our hearts this week as we, as we revisit this passage and as we spend time prayerfully thinking through it, applying it. Lord, illuminate it for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.